From executive producer Isaac Saul, this is Tangle. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Tangle Podcast, a place we get views from across the political spectrum, some independent thinking without all that hysterical nonsense you find everywhere else. I'm your host, Isaac Saul, and I hope you all had a great weekend. Today, we are going to be talking about the indictment of former President Donald Trump. Yes, it happened, despite some of my doubts about it actually happening. It sounds like it is real now. We are going to jump into that story with some updates on what we know, some opinions from the left and the right, and then my take. Before we jump in, though, as always, we'll start off with some quick hits. First up, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, the Republican, announced his plans to run for president. Number two, another series of tornadoes and storms across the United States killed at least 32 people and injured hundreds more over the weekend, spanning the Midwest to the southern United States. Number three, protesters in Israel continued to hit the streets over the weekend despite Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's plan to delay his judicial reform policy. Number four, a federal judge in Tennessee blocked a new law dubbed a drag ban that would have classified male and female impersonators as adult cabaret performers and prevented such performances from taking place in public spaces when minors are present. Number five, the lawsuit between Dominion Voting Systems and Fox News will go to jury trial after a Delaware judge ruled against both parties' requests to skip a trial. For the first time ever in American history, a former president of the United States has been indicted. Former President Donald Trump has been indicted Hmm. by a grand jury in New York. Trump was under investigation by the DA's office for his alleged hush money payment to adult film star Stormy Daniels during the 2016 campaign. It's enormously historic, unprecedented to have a former president and a leading presidential candidate facing an indictment. In mid-March, we covered the imminent Trump indictment after the former president said he was going to be arrested in the coming days. It took nearly two weeks, but on Thursday, a Manhattan grand jury indicted Trump for his role in paying hush money to adult film star Stormy Daniels. The charges mark the first time a former or sitting president has ever been criminally charged. Prosecutors confirmed the charges and said they had contacted Trump to coordinate his surrender to authorities, where he'll be briefly detained for fingerprinting and processing. Once he is arraigned on Tuesday, the specific charges will be unsealed. The New York Times reported that he faces more than two dozen counts, while the Associated Press reported at least one of those counts is a felony. As we previously reported, the charges against Trump are being brought by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg after a nearly five-year investigation. Trump is alleged to have coordinated $130,000 of payments to Daniels to keep her from publicly discussing the purported affair. Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, has already pled guilty and served time in prison for charges related to the payments. It's still unclear what specific charges will be brought against Trump, though it's suspected they will be related to campaign finance violations and falsifying business records for misreporting the reimbursements to Cohen as legal fees rather than hush money. Similar charges had already been examined by federal prosecutors who declined to prosecute Trump. 
Falsifying business records is a misdemeanor, but it can be upgraded to a felony if prosecutors can show Trump intended to commit fraud by covering up another crime. A conviction on those charges carries a maximum sentence of four years in prison, though prison time is not mandatory. During his trial, Cohen said under oath that the payments were directed by Trump and that he was reimbursed for them as legal expenses. Trump, who was married during the alleged relationship, has denied ever having an affair with Daniels as well as nearly all of Cohen's claims and has repeatedly called the allegations and investigation a witch hunt. You can find a full timeline of the story with a link in today's episode description or newsletter. This is a political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history, Mr. Trump said in a statement. While some Democrats cheered the charges, saying nobody should be above the law, others fear the case may be difficult to prosecute and could distract from the other, more serious charges Trump is facing. Currently, he is being investigated by federal prosecutors over the January 6 riots, by the D.C. Attorney General over alleged financial fraud on the Presidential Inaugural Committee, by the Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney over alleged criminal election interference in Georgia, by the Securities Exchange Commission, or SEC, over alleged rules violations in his plans to take his social media company public through a SPAC, and by the FBI and Justice Department over his handling of classified documents. The Congressional House Select Committee recently completed its investigation into his role on January 6th. Meanwhile, the first poll conducted since the indictment by Yahoo News and YouGov shows Trump with a 26-point lead over Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in a hypothetical Republican primary. That's up eight points from just two weeks ago when Trump first announced he was going to be indicted. Today, we're going to take a look at some reactions from the left and the right to the indictment and then my take. First up, we'll start with what the left is saying. Most on the left support the indictment, saying Trump can't be allowed to operate above the law. Some argue that this is a regular case of white-collar crime and it's totally reasonable to prosecute Trump. Others argue that Bragg has chosen a very difficult series of criminal charges to prove. The New York Times editorial board said even Donald Trump should be held accountable. Donald Trump spent years as a candidate in office and out of office, ignoring democratic and legal norms and precedents, trying to bend the Justice Department and the judiciary to his whims, and behaving as if rules didn't apply to him, the board said. As the news of the indictment shows, they do. Prosecutors were right to set aside concerns about politics, and this is only the first of several indictments Trump could face. While Trump has routinely called for his enemies to be investigated by the FBI, to be indicted, or to face the death penalty, his indifference to due process for others shouldn't deny him the system's benefits, including a fair trial and the presumption of innocence. Nor should any jury extend him privileges as former president. Trump's actions, using money to silence critics and hide politically damaging information, were wrong. The question that will face a jury is whether that behavior meets the threshold for conviction as a felony. There is no basis for the accusation that this is politically motivated, which Trump has claimed for many years about every investigation into his conduct. In The Nation, Chris Lehman said the case is less a matter of politics than of ruling class impunity. Sure, with Trump at the center of a full-bore conspiracy to reverse the 2020 presidential election, the $130,000 payment isn't something that would count as a marquee instance of Trumpian corruption. 
but it's still an offense, very much like when former Senator John Edwards faced six charges in federal court for campaign funding violations after he steered more than $900,000 from his own presidential campaign coffers to support his pregnant mistress. There was no talk then of unhinged politicization of the legal system and no dark prophecies of civic apocalypse. It's possible, in other words, to treat Bragg's case against Trump not as a prelude to some operatic clash of culture war legions, but rather as a fairly garden variety, if seamy, legal proceeding against the bad actor caught in a bad act, he said. Some worry the somewhat novel legal theory may undermine more consequential pending actions against Trump. But legal proceedings don't cancel themselves out once they're plotted out on some imaginary grid of comparative seriousness. Should Trump wriggle out of the charges, the weightier Georgia and federal cases won't be derailed. It's not that the apprehension surrounding the indictment isn't understandable, but it's ultimately not properly scaled to a disgraced former president who's guided his party through three disappointing election cycles. In Slate, Mark Joseph Stern wrote about the big problem with the Trump indictment. Bragg's case is the first to result in an indictment, though arguably the toughest to win. The mismatch between New York law and the misconduct alleged here is defensible, but an extremely unusual set of circumstances gave rise to this alleged crime, denying Bragg the ability to fortify his charges with precedent and thereby leaving Trump ample room to question their legitimacy. Winning at trial would include proving Trump's intent to contravene campaign finance law by putting Cohen on the stand and persuading a jury he is more credible than the former president. Despite existing evidence of Trump's extensive involvement in the scheme, we have not yet seen a smoking gun that proves his fraudulent attempt, one, to falsify records in furtherance of two, helping his campaign. Bragg will also need to refute Trump's defense already previewed on Truth Social that Cohen told him the payoff was legal and he relied on this advice in good faith. Again, the resolution of this dispute may well hang on the jury's determination of credibility between the two men. All right, that is it for what the left is saying, which brings us to what the right is saying. Many on the right criticize the indictment, arguing it is an overreach that will have grave consequences. Some say the case against Trump is hard to prove, and this will unleash similar prosecutions of other presidents in the future. Others say that if Bragg doesn't have much more evidence than what is known, it unlocks a dangerous new era of political prosecutions. The Wall Street Journal editorial board said it is a sad day for the country with unpredictable and probably destructive political ramifications. The indictment itself remains under seal, so we can't examine specific charges and evidence, the board said. Perhaps Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has new evidence that will be compelling. Still, we believe any prosecution of a former president should involve a serious offense. The evidence should also be solid enough that a reasonable voter would find it persuasive. The last thing a politically polarized America needs is a case in which partisans line up on either side like a political O.J. Simpson trial, especially when the case involves a former president who is also running again for the same office as Mr. Trump now is. Trump will add this to the list of false Russian collusion claims, two failed impeachments, and the FBI's Mar-a-Lago document raid. Whether that political defense succeeds will depend on how the case evolves in court in what will be a media circus for the ages. Mr. Trump's reckless personal behavior has made himself vulnerable as usual, but Democratic excess could rescue him again. Of course, Democrats also think he is the easiest candidate to beat and want Mr. Trump in the dock and at the center of the political debate. In the Washington Post, Jason Willick ran through all the ways the indictment was unusual. 
First, it's based on old conduct involving payments to porn star Stormy Daniels in 2016 to stop her from revealing an alleged affair from the 2000s, he said. Second, other prosecutors declined to pursue the case against Trump, not just the famously aggressive U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, but New York City's previous district attorney, Cyrus R. Vance Jr., a Democrat. Also, the charges rest on the proposition that the payment to buy Daniels' silence amounted to a Trump campaign expense. Perhaps, but non-disclosure agreements are frequently entered into by public figures who aren't candidates for office. Finally, the indictment would seem to transform a hypothetical federal offense into a state crime under a New York-based business records law. According to this procedural jujitsu, Trump committed a state felony by marking the payments as legal expenses to conceal a federal campaign expense. Prosecutors prefer not relying on such convoluted constructs, which are vulnerable on appeal. Maybe Trump will be convicted, but does this sound like the project of a good-faith prosecutor? In The Federalist, Margot Cleveland said the indictment launches an era of police state politics. Bragg's decision promises to herald a new political age, one in which local prosecutors will target partisan enemies big and small, making a mockery of the criminal justice system in the process. News of the indictment leaked to the left's favorite scribes at the New York Times, which punctuates perfectly the Soviet-esque times we live in. The legacy media may not be state-run, but they peddle propaganda nonetheless. Bragg is expected to use Trump's physical absence from New York when he was president to sidestep the five-year statute of limitations that applies to a felony of falsifying business records, which will add to the stench of this case. If Bragg hasn't uncovered something much beyond the details already reported about the Daniels payment, he will only make matters worse by pushing for an indictment of the former president on more than 30 criminal counts, presumably by charging Trump with separate counts for each of the monthly payments made to Cohen in 2017. All right, that is it for what the left and the right are saying, which brings us to my take. So given that we have very little new information, very little about my opinion from two weeks ago has changed. I think the evidence suggests Trump had an affair with Stormy Daniels, that his team paid her not to share the story, and that they tried to cover their tracks in doing so. Even if my suspicions were true, though, it'd hardly be a novel scandal in American politics, and I don't think it is the kind of scandal that should break hundreds of years of precedent and prosecutorial discretion in America. Of all the conservative writers I saw break down the unusual nature of the case, I thought Jason Willick did the best under what the right is saying. It's not just a novel legal theory being used against the former president. It's not just that had Trump not left New York to be president and paused the statute of limitations, this case would be too old to bring. It's not just that other federal prosecutors have already opted not to bring this case. It's all of those things combined and then packaged with the fact this is the very first indictment of a former president against a presidential candidate by a district attorney from the opposing political party. And while the left's nobody-should-be-above-the-law talking point does resonate with me, I think we can all concede that while that should be the case, it actually isn't. Nothing illustrates this better than the fact that Cohen has already been convicted and served his prison time for basically the same crime before Trump was even indicted. In no way do I think we should never bring up charges against former presidents because they are former presidents. Other democracies actually do a much better job of holding their leaders accountable on reasonable terms than we do. See Israel, France, Italy, Taiwan. But if this is the bar that we are setting, do you really think the Clintons and Bidens and Bushes of the world aren't ripe for indictment too? 
We've already seen voters in small towns in Vermont try to indict Bush and former President Dick Cheney for crimes against the Constitution. What fresh new flood of charges will this from Alvin Bragg open up? Perhaps a conservative district attorney on the border wants to charge President Biden for failure to protect the border. And that's just it. Trump stands accused of several crimes that will actually make him unique, that actually might be deserving of an indictment, like the election interference charges he faces in Georgia. Bringing charges like this around what most Americans will recognize as a run-of-the-mill tawdry political scandal seven years after the fact will only make other more legitimate criminal cases against Trump look like another witch hunt, as the former president puts it. I'm not saying it strengthens his position, as some political pundits have posited. I actually think that is a lazy talking point and probably untrue. I do think, though, most regular Americans are going to scoff at the idea of all things I do think, though, many regular Americans are going to scoff at the idea that of all things presidents have done in U.S. history, this is going to be what the first indictment is brought for. Anecdotally, I know many of my friends and family who are casual political observers, even ones who dislike Trump, have asked me in recent days some version of, really, this is what they're going to try and get him for? There is always the chance Bragg is holding cards that we don't know about. But if the case is what it looks like, it concerns me deeply— Not just from a legal angle, that the case is difficult to charge and won't enjoy public support, but especially when it comes to the psyche of the country. I suspect in a few years, or maybe a decade, we'll look back on this moment and regret that this was why we opened Pandora's box. All right, that is it for my take, which brings us to your questions answered. Today's question is from Nate in Fountain, Colorado. Nate said, what is the historical precedent of former U.S. presidents remaining involved in contemporary politics? The most obvious current example is former President Trump announcing his bid for a second non-consecutive term and his endorsement of candidates that may or may not have cost the Republicans winnable races. But I also think of former President Barack Obama and his campaigning on behalf of vulnerable Democrats through either in-person appearances, visits to the White House, recorded phone messages, timely book releases, etc., To my knowledge, other former presidents from both parties have been reticent to remain in the fray once their terms were up. So, Nate, this is a great question. Uh, Believe it or not, it's actually pretty rare. Like you said, most presidents have been reticent to remain in the fray once their terms were up. When former President Obama campaigned for Hillary Clinton in 2016, it was a precedent breaker. No president had strongly campaigned for his chosen successor in about 100 years, NPR actually published a helpful article in 2016 that broke down recent presidents and how they handled their retirements. Some obviously didn't campaign because they were in poor health, and others because they were so unpopular, i.e. George W. Bush not campaigning for John McCain. But whatever the reason, a president being as visible, vocal, and involved in politics as Trump, who is running again, or Obama, who has repeatedly campaigned against Trump and for other Democrats, is just plain rare. Each of the last few presidents, Bush, Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, and Jimmy Carter, were all far quieter in the political world. Carter especially has made a name for himself for living a rather humble and quietly productive philanthropic post-presidential life, rarely ever wading back into the political fray. Don't forget, if you have a question you want answered in the podcast, you can write to me, isaac, at readtangle.com, or just reply to our newsletter. All right, next up is our Under the Radar section. On Sunday, OPEC plus oil producers made a surprise announcement that they will cut output by 1.16 million barrels per day, 
a move designed to drive up prices in the United States. The pledge cuts mean OPEC Plus has reduced their output by about 3.7% of the global demand in the last few months. Last month, oil prices fell to $70 per barrel, the lowest in 15 months. The latest cuts could lift oil prices by as much as $10 per barrel. In the U.S., officials criticized the move, calling it unwise. Reuters has the story and what it means, and there is a link to that in today's episode description. All right, next up is the numbers section. 47% of Americans view the New York prosecution as politically motivated, according to an ABC Ipsos poll. 32% of Americans do not view the prosecution as politically motivated, according to the ABC Ipsos poll. The percentage of Americans who said they weren't sure was 20%. The percentage of Americans who think Trump should have been charged with a crime was 45%. Meanwhile, just 32% of Americans said they think Trump should not have been charged with a crime. Finally, the percentage of Republicans who said Trump should not have been charged was 62%. All right, that is it for our numbers section, which brings us to our Have a Nice Day story. Johnny Gable is a storm chaser and carpenter. In March, he was tracking a cyclone through the south when he came into Rolling Fork, Mississippi, a town that had just been leveled by the storm. Gable got out of his car and heard someone screaming for help from a nearby home. When he entered, he found an elderly woman sitting in a bed as if nothing had happened, but she and her family were remarkably unscathed inside a home that had just been completely destroyed. After rescuing them, he kept in touch with the family and Gable has now offered to help them rebuild their home and started a GoFundMe campaign to fund the project. Upworthy has the story and there is a link to it in today's episode description. All right, everybody, that is it for today's podcast. As always, if you want to support our work, please go to readtangle.com slash membership and become a member. We'll be right back here, same time tomorrow. Have a good one. Peace. Our podcast is written by me, Isaac Saul, and edited by Zosha Warpea. Our script is edited by Sean Brady, Ari Weitzman, and Bailey Saul. Shout out to our interns, Audrey Moorhead and Watkins Kelly, and our social media manager, Magdalena Bakova, who created our podcast logo. Music for the podcast was produced by Diet75. For more from Tangle, check out our website at www.newtangle.com. Tangle.